This podcast and the many that follow are proudly brought to you by our partner, Titleist, the number one ball in golf. Now, as it relates to earning an edge, our friends at Titleist have been the leaders since the early 1900s. And in order to compete and win at the highest level, frankly, there's no room for second best. For this reason, the best players in the world trust Titleist. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Earn Your Edge podcast. I'm Cameron McCormick and I'm joined by my fellow high-performance coach and partner in Alters Performance, Corey Lundberg. Now, the topic that we're going to explore and unpack and to do some action points for you, the listener, is performance under pressure. Some of the themes we'll be exploring, first, understanding the physiological effects of stress and arousal. Second, how can we train in ways that better prepare us for these moments of stress? And third, what are the most successful coping strategies, workarounds, or better said, what are the most successful tools to let the best version of you show up in these moments that are most important, those moments where you'd most like to perform at your best? Now, who will hear from? We've got some fantastic contributions from those competing at a world-class level. We have three-time major champion Jordan Spieth. We have PGA Tour and a web.com tour player, Kramer Hickok. We have two-time LPGA major champions, Soyeon Yu and Anna Nordqvist, and we have contributions from a European tour player client of ours named Laurie Cantor. Now, Corey, if you could just um, lend a little bit of the structure for the episode to us. Yeah, so in, in case you miss episode one, the first thing you should do is go back and, and check it out. But for those that haven't listened to it yet, we'll be following a bit of a structure in each episode of Earn Your Edge that will allow us to hopefully codify all the themes that we cover within each episode. Our whole goal is to identify how great performers are different from average performers. And the framework that will follow was inspired by a quote that we've seen attributed to several different sources, but seemingly most often it's credited to Gandhi, where he says, The thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, actions become your habits, habits become your values, and values become your destiny. So how is that relevant to our discussions? An analogy that we'll use is that you've got this iceberg. And in this case, above the water, we see these incredible athletic performances. But just below that surface, there are these hidden drivers of that extraordinary performance that seemingly feed into each other. And at Altus, we call those high-caliber characteristics basically the personality traits that these high performers possess, which lead into separating skills, which are those behaviors that seem to be a manifestation of those personality traits and exhibited behaviors. And, and then lastly, that leads to perhaps the most actionable, which are the edge earning actions, which are the, those little hacks and steps that these players have taken in their pursuit of, of their goals. So when we mention those terms, you know, that's the time to perk up and take notice. And we'll certainly do our best to highlight them in our commentary of each conversation that we have with the players. But to get us started, let, let's start with a better working definition for what pressure actually is. So Cam, if I'm a player, I'm coming to you and I want to discuss this topic of pressure and we need to start from this point of clarity of, of where we each understand kind of what it means before we go any further, how would you define pressure? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that uh, for, for the start, pressure is experienced at the intersection of expectation and uncertainty where one's perceived threat of failure drives our attention to future thinking when the desire to achieve is great, but the unknowns of outcome drives our thoughts to that future, to wondering if we'll come through this event and feel we performed at our best, 
Will we come through this experience and define it as in our own minds as a success, I guess? So it's kind of like you're driving down the road and you're looking 10 miles ahead when you really should be focusing on the, on the, the distance on the road that's maybe 100 yards ahead. Now, in terms of experience of pressure, it happens on two fronts, defined as cognitive and somatic. In easy-to-understand terms, the somatic is what we feel, sometimes the elevated heart rate, the sweaty palms, the butterflies in our stomach, that urge to run to the bathroom that we oftentimes experience. And then there's the cognitive. It's the voice in our head that wonders what is going to happen, that nagging voice of self-doubt that plays forward, the excuses for falling short, the voice that says you're not capable. Now, of course, there's the underlying physiology that we feel is important to understand. You've likely heard it defined as fight or flight. And while we intend to unpack this concept as we kind of continue, let's kick this off with some audio from Jordan on his experience of pressure and paying attention to his patterns, building a library that he, that he can reference back to it and inform how he reacts in these moments of high arousal. And if you can adjust those trends positively, make adjustments that when you get in that situation, you go, okay, I'm feeling the pressure right now. I feel adrenaline. My body gets quick. I miss my long irons to the right. Okay, why don't I slow it down a little bit and test this out? It's these kind of adjustments off of mis-execution off of, on setbacks that allowed me to, I think, take bigger steps forward and, and propel me above other competitions. So is there any way in training that you feel like you've embedded pressure coping or stress that served you well, or is it only just an accumulation of your experiences? Yeah, experience? I wish it were the first, yeah. but that's I've not found a way to yeah. incorporate pressure practice. It goes off of being able to see it. You know, I, my rounds are on TV. I can look back and I can say, I can see certain shots that felt good, and then I can see certain shots with the same club that, that weren't good. And what did it look like fast paced, but camera angles are different. I'm not looking at the intricacies of the swing. I'm more looking at tempo yeah. and, and when things are firing. And would you, would you use any of that for imagery for later on? So when exactly. At the same time, what Jordan speaks to there is the difficulty that we experience in creating the context that we're going to be, let's say, exposed to in competition. How do we create those circumstances that then elevate our heart rate and cause our palms to be sweaty and, and, and um, help us feel or cause us to feel that experience of expectations and um, desires and the perception of threat. And, you know, whilst Jordan says it's very difficult to do, our experience in coaching other elite athletes, and quite frankly, even Jordan himself says that it is possible. And that's where we get to that level of discussion with uh, with Soyon here, where she starts to describe those situations in practice where we can create the circumstance that we're hoping to um, excel within. So let's talk a, a little bit about like the stress and the uh -huh. psychological aspects of it, because very few people know what it's like to experience uh, coming down the stretch of a major championship and it's hard for us as coaches to simulate that kind of right. stress yeah. and, and pressure. So I'm, I'm curious if there's anything that you feel like that you do in training that is kind of embeds that process with, with just trying to create some pressure or some stress, you know, like we have games that we play that yes. you have to reach the standard and it's obviously not going to duplicate what you feel on the you know 18th fairway or in a playoff for a major championship. Is it just experience 
that is going to allow you to thrive in that situation? Or are there things that you can do in training that helps you, even if it's artificially, helps you feel like you're prepared for that? Mm, I think definitely like some kind of drill can create a lot of pressure, like pressure practice. Yeah. Like like these days I'm practice like, like four feet putt could be really easy, but could right. be really tough. So I always put down the four coins and I always make sure make a 40 in a row and it's going to be done my practice. So let's say like if it's like number 32, 33, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to do it again. So in that case, your concentration level is going really, really, you know, higher. And then that one kind of it's not same as what you feel at the, you know, the tournament, but it's kind of similar. So let's take a quick break in the action to recognize one of our partners, Under Armour. It's Under Armour's mission to make all athletes better through passion, design, and the relentless pursuit of innovation. And that ethos or mission statement couldn't be more aligned with the Earn Your Edge podcast. We're thankful to be powered by Under Armour. So hopefully what you've got out of listening to Soyeon's answer there and her description of her practice is that it's really game-like. It's as close to the real thing as possible. And, and that's what we want. We want game-like practice where there's some sort of consequence when all of a sudden that the shot counts and there's no do-over and we can't just swipe over another ball and try again when it means something and you're going to have to sign a card with a score next to it at the end. You know, we don't want that to be the shock to the system that the, the players experience and the, those that we've interviewed here do a really good job of simulating that in practice. And if you go back to what Jordan spoke of, of, of being aware of how his body was going to react, that level up of self-awareness and understanding, wouldn't it be really nice if we could shortcut or accelerate that process of our, our better understanding by putting ourselves in those situations where we can learn and grow in our awareness during our actual training time. And Cameron has got a, a really good way for our clients to check to see if they've done that something that that he calls cash crowds and consequences and now we're, we're going to go over to kramer hickok uh, web.com and pga tour player who just won the canadian tour order of merit to to get his web card last year and listen to his experience of cash crowds and consequences and how that has become an edge earning action for him you had yeah you had plenty of of times this year yeah where, you right. were encountering some pressure, right? Right, so. right. Yeah, I, I think the stuff that I had done with Cam, which was what, cash, crowds, confidence, and consequences. consequences. Yeah. And we did some cool stuff actually back. I always look back to Brook Hollow because there was that net on the left side of the range. Right. And there's car parking lot over on the left side, and he's having me hit drivers. Yeah. Try and cut it over the net and back into play. And this is a time when I couldn't hit cuts. And my miss would be a left ball that goes left. And so I always think about that, you know, it just having that helped me get better because I had the consequences. If it's a wide open fairway, you know, I'm not feeling the stress. So I actually felt my, I was nervous because I was going to have to go pay for whatever car I hit (laughs) and I didn't have any money. So, um, I would say I do a little bit of that kind of stuff where, you know, I pick up, I try to make as much consequences as possible. And I, and whenever my dad and his buddy is around at the club, I, you know, I tell them to come over and watch and stuff like that. And they'll, right. they'll put bets on me, right? And stuff like that. But I think the biggest thing is obviously comes from being in that experience. But the closest thing that I could think of that can is just huge money game, yeah. money games and doing that against Jordan because I really want to beat Jordan. And um, I know that if, you know, people are going to talk about the round. And so, and people tend to come out and watch. Right. And so... 
if I beat Jordan, it's bragging rights. If he beats me, it's, you know, he right. beat me. But, <laughs> exactly. but for me, I want to beat him. It's a good position for you to be. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. But that's, I mean, I, I do it a little bit. I probably don't do it as much as I should. But I look, I always rely back on circumstances, and I think that helps me the most under pressure. Yeah. And now, you now you know, as you go, you have this kind of memory bank. That yeah, you exactly. You can look that. back on certain yeah. thoughts or whatever. So Kramer's done an unbelievable job of describing how he has integrated all three of those elements that we spoke of into his practice, the cash, the crowds, and the consequences. And a psychologist would even validate what he's done there. They, they would call that exposure therapy or stress inoculation, where he's uh, exposed himself to this fearful or stressful situation in the case that he described where he's trying not to hit it over the net to where he damages a car and has to pay for it. Uh, the same way that if they had someone, say Cam, walked into their office and says, I'm really uh, deathly afraid of clowns, they would say, hey, let's go hang out at the, at the circus for a long time. The hope is that over time, Cam's going to acclimate and get rid of that fear. You're not afraid of clowns, right? I'm not. Okay. So he's not afraid of clowns anymore. And, and so th there's another really cool element that, that Kramer has gotten out of that process as well, which is he can go back to all the times that he has been in that situation and he's not damaged a car. And there's some success that's come out of that, that he can then reference when now he's on a stressful situation where he's got a pressure packed tee shot, he can go back. There's some trust training that exists there that creates this anchor moment that he's always going to be able to reference. And, and so Cameron's going to, going to build on this, this concept of anchor moments. And so the principle that we're building upon is the principle of reinforcement. The more you think about, talk about, write about something happening or even experiencing, even better experiencing that thing happening, then you increase the probability of that thing happening in the future. And the analogy I like to share with people is if you think about the good experiences, white paint, and if you think about the poor experiences, those bad experiences is black paint. The question I would ask you, the listener, is how many drops of black paint would it take to put into the white paint bucket to turn that white paint any shade of gray? And the answer is not many. Conversely, how many drops of white paint would it take to put in the black paint bucket to turn it the equal shade of gray that you just turned that white paint bucket? And the answer is a lot. And so if we can learn from that, that that principle of reinforcement says or explicitly kind of demands that we must reinforce what is happening that is positive, then we have to anchor to those positive moments, those moments of mastery, those moments of success. And we need to create for ourselves a highlight reel, a highlight reel that's sometimes it could be written. It could be something that you did um, document, you journal to yourself that is something that you read to yourself in preparation for that next event, that next circumstance that might elicit a stress from you. Or it's something that you watch. You might film yourself, film yourself having success in a golf tournament or a, um, a boxing event or a presentation that you're giving at school or at work. And I think Soyon does a really good job of expressing what we're talking about in terms of anchor moments and highlight rails when she describes her experience making the final putt to win her second major championship at the ANA. Is that something that you would consciously reference back to in the moment? Like trying to remind yourself of, hey, you do this all the time. Yeah, this for is sure. You do in training. Right? For sure. Yeah. Like I just like that situation, the ANA, I just kept talking to myself. You've, you know, played golf more than 10 years. You've done, you've made six foot putt more than a thousand times. It means right. you can do it. 
So it's really cool as you listen to Soyeon describe that experience at the ANA that she went back to her training. I think it brings up a, a cool concept and what we'll refer to as one of the edge earning actions that hopefully you get out of listening to this episode, which is what we would call trust training. You know, a lot of times we go out and we practice and our, our whole entire goal of going out and training is to build skill. But alternatively, what we're hearing from some of these high performers is that not only are they trying to get better and build their skill, but they're using their practice time as a way to create trust. Cameron spoke at the very beginning of our episode how that a lot of this pressure comes from this uncertainty. But if we can overcome some of that uncertainty by referring back to this training that we've had that created certainty that we were doing certain things correctly, some evidence that we were correct in how we were performing, then it can be a really powerful thing for us to reference back to. And in fact, this was reinforced again from Anna Norquist as she talks about her experience in the Evian Championship coming down the wire actually in a playoff where she did something very similar to what Soyeon described. Um, I remember a really nasty lie for your pitch shot, right? Yeah, I. Uh, it was on. It was on kind of muddy because it was very right. wet, yeah. and it was kind of on Kluber, so wasn't the best lie. I hit a lot of greens, so I don't leave myself <laughs> in and out chipping. And the short game is something that I'm working on, but it's not one of my strengths. So you know, you're coming coming down the stretch there, and then you know it's important, and then. You can't feel your fingers, but somehow you still, you know, accept the challenge and the conditions and I'm able to pull it off. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always going to be one of those shots that I'm going to look back at too and be very proud of. And But I've just had a great mindset ever since I started working with uh, Cameron in, in the summer. You know, I feel like he's keeping very, things very simple for me. It's not a lot of thoughts or a lot of different techniques. So I have that that one thing to go back to and it's exactly what I went back to, you know, under the pressure and under all the things going on, you know, it was still one simple thing. He had to help me do this, this really cool traffic cop. Yeah, um, so that's just that feeling I was trying to embrace and that's all I try to focus on and not really worry Beautiful. about anything else. Now, in addition to referencing back to her uh, trust training, Anna is also exhibiting another separating skill, and that's the skill of reframing. She's basically describing how she has stripped the situation of its meaning. Sure, it's a playoff, it's in a major championship, no less. One of the most stressful situations a player will ever encounter, but instead of dwelling in what a successful shot might mean, or even worse, what a poor shot might do, she's just taking it back to her training. She's not seeing all the grandeur of a major championship she took herself back to her training time with, with me. And there's a quote that comes to mind. It's a quote by Anais Nin. We see things as we are, not as they are. But we're going to take the counter of that. I think we need to see things with objectivity, right, Corey? Yeah, so there's a, a passage that Cameron and I have, have been known to forward along to, to clients at times where we feel like they haven't reframed a situation in a way that's that's very empowering. And in fact, it, it, how they're perceiving the situation has become a detriment to their performance. And so that quote from, from Ryan Holiday is, the observing eye sees events clear of distractions, exaggerations, and misperceptions. The perceiving eye sees a, an insurmountable obstacle or major setback or even issues. It brings its own issues to the fight. The former is helpful, the latter is not. 
And so what we want to do is we want to reframe circumstances as an opportunity to reflect back on those moments of mastery, those highlight reel moments where we know we have succeeded and therefore we can succeed again. It's a foundational mindset. And this leads into Laurie's discussion of reframing that circumstance of Q-School as an opportunity to go out there and beat those he knows he can beat. Another huge component to you performing at a really high level is how you cope with pressure and stress in competition. Are there ways that you have been able to embed stress in your practice and your training? Or do you feel like it's more than anything? Because you've been, you've gotten through final stage of Q school two years in a row, right? right. Three years in a row. Three yeah. Right. In a row. yeah. <laughs> three years in a row. So we're talking, you're pretty good at coping with pressure, right? It's a different sort of pressure Q school. Yeah. Yeah. It's so different. This, I mean, it comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation where we were saying, where's your head at? What, what's your focus? You know, are you focused on like winning and those things? Or is it like, um, it's kind of, you know, a, a need to achieve or a need to avoid failure a little bit. And I think Q school definitely for me satisfies the need to avoid failure, which, which is where I've, I feel I've, my mindset's been too much for too long. Right. And I think when you, you know, when you, so to answer your question, for me at Q school, I've, I've always tried to frame it as an opportunity and a lot of people hate being motivated by messing up or, or failure. And I don't mind that because I think I've spent quite a long time sort of, you know, I don't want to, I think I've been in that, that kind of mindset for a while. So actually going to Q school and thinking it's an opportunity here and, and whatever has never, I think that's probably why I've done well there because it's, I want to say I've almost taken the pressure off whereas a lot of people have seen it the other way. Yeah. Um, which is kind of weird. It's the, probably the opposite way to the way you'd think it would yeah. run. So as Laurie describes right there, Q school, what is it? Is it a threat of failure or falling short or is it an opportunity to show that he can be successful and he reframes it, he interprets it as an opportunity and it takes me back to our early definition of pressure. It's experienced at the intersection of expectation and uncertainty, which then takes me further back to some of my early coaching days with Jordan Spieth. He's 16 years old. And he's playing his first PGA Tour event. We're standing on the putting green before the first round, and he's stressed. He's stressed at the highest level he possibly can be. And we're on the putting green. I look to the side, and there's a retaining wall. And I said, Jordan, Imagine I asked you to go walk along that retaining wall that's three feet above the ground. I said, would you be fearful? Would you be scared? And he looks at me annoyed and says, absolutely not. And I said, imagine we threw that retaining wall a hundred feet up in the air. Would you now be scared? And he looks at me again and got the point immediately. He said, of course I wouldn't. I said, that's exactly what you're about to experience, which is why you're so stressed. I said, if we think, can think of this event, this first PGA Tour event as any round of golf that you've played to this point, up until now, and then we can reduce it to that, 18 tee boxes, 18 greens, 18 hole locations, then you'll do absolutely fine. So to wrap up this episode and this conversation on, on how do we perform better under pressure, we'll, we'll make the following points. And 
we can't unlearn stress or fear. It's not something that we can fight. It's embedded deeply into our biology and, and has been since the dawn of time. We've, we've got this incredibly evolved biological system that's designed to ramp up at all the right times and all the right ways in response to certain stressors. And in 2018, that stressor is not going to be a saber-toothed tiger coming around the corner to eat us. We're trying to perform these very complex motor skills in the face of the physiological and the mental stressors that we that we spoke of. And so we have to have tools in our toolbox for those moments where we get to the first tee and we're feeling pressure. We have a three foot putt to win. And so hopefully you can reflect back on the conversations and the insights that were shared by those that we spoke to and heard from today uh, to better prepare you for those moments. And if I was going to summarize them, kind of put a bow on them so that you can think about them. The first one is the high caliber characteristic of self-image. We've got these players, we hear from them, they're actively and they're intentionally protecting and building up this self-image through intentional practice, just in the way that they would any other skill. And they're also highly self-aware, meaning not only do they recognize that they're feeling pressure, but they know exactly how their body reacts and how they should cope accordingly. They also have, have exhibited and shared with us the separating skill of reframing. So they take these stressful situations and rather than seeing them in a way that's going to be detrimental to performance, they, they try to find a perspective that is more empowering to them and tell them a story that's going to create a more, more likelihood that they're successful in those situations. And then lastly, there's a few of those hacks, those edge earning actions, contextual practice, exposure therapy, trust training. These are things that you can go and take into your practice immediately and hopefully enhance that performance under pressure. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Team Altus and Instagram at Altus Performance. Also, thanks to Cordy Walker for his wonderful production work on this and coming episodes of Earn Your Edge.